you got to hang out with him. I mean, let's hang out isn't probably work, like we weren't work with him. We worked <laughs> yeah, with him. Did, worked, you, did you hang out with him one-on-one? Yeah, he is very lovely. He actually made me a coffee, like a little, you know, Nespresso situation. We were in a trail, you know, like the trailer. So, with, so he like, didn't grind people. the beans. No, there were no like grinding of beans. You know what hanging out with Robert Downey Jr. was like? Hanging out with Alex Roy. No, it's not true. <laughs> it's not true. Hello and welcome to the Atonicast. I'm Ed Niedermeyer. I am the author of Ludicrous, the Unvarnished Story of Tesla Motors. And I'm Alex Roy. And since today, I guess we're, we're putting on our, our NPR voices and, and doing different titles. I, I'm the co-founder of the greatest consultancy in mobility, Johnson & Roy, um, the former chairman of The Moth, which a lot of people didn't know about me. And I guess we'll move on to Kirsten, who's got a real announcement. And I'm Kirsten Korosek, transportation editor at TechCrunch. And contributing producer to the upcoming Downey's Dream Cars that is premiering June twenty second on HBO Max. Or I guess it's in Robert Downey Jr. Yes, RDJ. That's all I want to talk about today. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, I want to talk about it because you both have done kind of big things like Ed, you wrote a book, and Alex, you wrote a book, but you also did like Letterman back in the day and all these things. And I just want to know that if it's normal days before something goes like out into the world to have extreme anxiety, even though you did this, like I literally did all this stuff almost two years ago, a year and a half ago. And yet now that it's about to go out in the world and I had a small part, I mean, I, I'm very proud of what I did and I know that they're happy with me, but like, it's not like I'm the main character or anything like that. Um, And yet I am like, horrified, a little bit horrified. Is that normal or am I weird? But Kirsten, wait a second. Let's be clear here, okay? There were two <laughs> different shows you could have said that you were on that are in the news right now. What? One of them is The Idol with The Weeknd, and you're not part of that show. So any other show you're part of that's not The Idol is a win. It's a win. <laughs> it's a massive yeah. win. You're a winner. It literally doesn't matter what your show's about. Tell us what it's about. Okay. So I will try to do the short version of the story, but um, a former colleague of mine um, at TechCrunch, John Schieber, who now went went and is working at the Footprint Coalition, which is a uh, climate tech, climate change really focused uh, coalition, really a VC fund that is um, largely funded by Robert Downey Jr. And he reached out to me in 2021 and basically kind of said, very, you know, it wasn't secretive, but it was a little bit vague. Would you talk to some producers? And it ended up being because they were looking for someone who had some expertise in sort of the future of mobility, also EVs, but really the future of mobility, uh, climate tech, and um, that sort of world because of a show that Robert Downey Jr. was working on with, uh, you know, with a whole team coming from Team Downey, which is um, Susan and Robert Downey Jr. Um, and what they wanted to do is like take his hot rods and convert them, but not just make this like a typical resto mod show and not necessarily all electric, but explore at the same time, um, this idea of, uh, reusing things, uh, lowering your carbon footprint. Like, what does that actually look like? What does that mean? And of course he's such a star and he's so good at like improv and all of that, that, you know, he goes and kind of explores within this world. 
So it felt a little bit like an Anthony Bourdain <laughs> styled show in a way. Don't say um, that. Don't say that. That's my show why? idea. Oh, okay. Well, I'm sorry. Uh, so I ended up like, you know, all of a sudden three weeks later on a, on a, on a film set, I guess, or a TV show set. Um, and so I was contributing producer, but then I ended up also, um, so a lot of the people you see on the show, um, and I can't talk too much about it because a lot of people haven't seen it yet. Um, but a lot of the people you see on the show, including in the trailer, um, Rimac, Mate Rimac, uh, founder of Rimac and the Nevera, um, was one thing I was very excited that I managed to get there because, um, he was super accommodating, but also there were only two of those vehicles that existed in the world and, and we got them at a very short notice. So that was like amazing. I've, I've only seen the preview, but like that vehicle for obvious reasons figures pretty centrally in the preview, which, uh, yeah, kind of like speaks yeah. to uh, how important your contribution was there, right? So, I mean, I think that like the big part of the show is, of course, um, outside of my expertise, which is some great folks um, who are really like specialists um, in, in Corvette preservation, but also like dealing with classics and then, uh, and, and their central characters. And then of course, Rich Benoit over at Rich Rebuilds, which um, I also helped bring on the show. And I'm very proud of that as well, because he's just like made for television. And, and th that's a really big central focus, but I kind of like helped advise on the other side of things. So like the startup side of things and, um, you know, that, those conversations. So it turns out I'm in a couple of episodes, which is where I get nervous. So like, you know, you just don't know. You just don't know. I think that the, I saw the first episode, it was really fun um, and super exciting and, and I'm very proud of it, but, you know, just being um, in that sort of medium um, I'm very comfortable on stage and, have me interview anyone. I'm good at that. I, I love doing that, but this is a new thing. So, you know, it's good that we do things that make us uncomfortable and I'm squarely feeling small bits of anxiety right now. Like a few the simple before. question is Kirsten, would you watch the show yourself? And I know you have to say yes, but while you say it, since we're not broadcasting video using your face, can you, can you just do yes or no with your face, no matter what your answer is? <laughs> yes. No, I think that it's very, I think it's a cool show because it isn't one note. We've seen, we've seen the, the like conversion of a cool car, the restoration of a cool car show. Like, and those can be a lot of fun, but it all follows like a very specific formula, like reality television does. And it can be very entertaining. It's kind of the thing that you watch, you know, when you're in a hotel room and, traveling and it's on cable and there you go. I mean, this is different than that um, because it, ju it jumps around to so many cool topics. Um, there's the whole startup angle side of things. Robert Downey Jr. of course is like a force to be reckoned with and really like fun and entertaining. Um, so you so got to hang out with, you got to hang out with them. I mean, let's hang out isn't probably like we were with him. Did you hang out with him one-on-one? -on -one? Yeah, he is very lovely. He actually made me a coffee, like a little, you know, Nespresso situation. We were in a trail, you know, like the trailer. With so he like didn't grind people. the beans. No, there were no like grinding of beans, but I felt like it was it was a solid espresso. Like, did he have a choice between using the machine or and a and a French press, and then he just picked the machine, or it was just the machine? 
There was just one option. We were because you know set, thoughtfulness. Like, you know, you know the thoughtfulness where someone <laughs> I mean, the if you love someone, if you really you, you grind the beans, you do the whole thing. But, you you know. know what hanging out with Robert Downey Jr. was like? Hanging out with Alex Roy. No, it's not true. It's not true. <laughs> yes, it. Because well, I would. one hundred percent. It is almost like you're the same person. It's, That's just. I mean, true. one is wildly more successful than the other one, but I'm not saying which one. <laughs> but I will say this: like someone who, you know, goes from one topic of conversation to another, knows everyone, is very animated. You have to be like very well rested and sober in order to interact with this person is exactly right. how it is with you. Wait, so, but has Alex, has Alex Roy ever made you a coffee? No. See? Well, Alex, Alex, you're just too big of a star. You got to get out there. Yeah. You got you to humanize yourself to the fans yeah, a little bit really, more here. Really? You know uh, something? I, I'm listening. Go on. Go on. No, I, I just it, – it was, it was funny because I was like almost – I mean, he he's uh, probably a little bit like even more animated than you are. But when when you're in Alex Roy mode, like what would be Alex Roy mode? Like at some sort of autonomous vehicle conference or something, maybe in like Israel or maybe LA and people are randomly coming up to you and everyone knows you and like you're riffing here and there. Like that's he he's he's like that. That's very sweet. That's very <laughs> sweet. Can't. Moving on. Moving on. We So the show is called... Downey's Dream Cars, it's what channel is it on? It's on, I keep saying HBO Max, but I guess we're supposed to, you know, it's Max. You mean now. just like, Max? Yeah. But, man, I. You know what else HBO is on Max? Max? What? The Idol with The uh, Weeknd. And let me tell you, um, I, I was I expecting show, it. it's Showgirls without the fun. <laughs> that's my review. Right, we're going to talk about mobility or what? Yeah, we I mean, well, I mean, I think we were talking about it's about vehicles and stuff. But I will say this, like this final thing. Um, when you do watch it, like throughout the six episodes or so, um, there will be cool startups that are mentioned in there, which which I'm, of course, always interested in. And Electrify America, they talk about them. No, but Charge it's point? interesting that Blink? one of the topics we came up with, we talked about is, which I think you'll both really appreciate and is a perfect segue to our next topic, which is buying a brand new electric vehicle is not going to solve climate change. And that is a topic <laughs> we addressed. And in part, you know, it, it might be reusing an existing car you have. Maybe it's restaurant Maybe it's putting a more efficient engine in it. Maybe it's riding a bike. Um, maybe it's doing a lot of other things, um, than just buying a brand new EV. Um, and so speaking of EVs, here's the segue, that charging network, how's it doing? Well, so the last episode we discussed where we discussed, uh, charging networks, Ford had just announced that they were going to offer the, uh, NACs, the, the Tesla's North American charging, uh, standard on their cars. And we talked about it and I'm sorry, I can't let this one go. Ed made a prediction. Ed, you want to confess your prediction? Say yeah. It. So, so at that moment, we literally the day that we recorded, uh, Ford was the only company that had had said they were adopting the NAC standard. Um, I had you also predicted that. previously spent the like past you know pre the the preceding like six weeks you know not reading or talking to anybody in the industry, <laughs> and came back with a bold prediction that uh, that you know. Ford uh, would be sort of it. And um, yeah, needless to say, uh, I 
probably could not have been much more wrong about that prediction. <laughs> For the record, I put out a prediction the same day saying that the North American charging standard, which is just Tesla's name for it, would actually become the North American charging standard. Kirsten, tell us what happened after we recorded that episode. I think maybe the day that we released this episode, Mary Barra also got on Twitter Spaces, or was it the day it we recorded? It was before, yeah. So okay. it was in between when we recorded well, so that's and actually, it came out, That's Mary actually, to, to, your, to your credit, Ed, then you did not ask for us to re-record it. You let it stand, even though you knew you were Everyone wrong. makes mistakes. Right. So Mary Barra gets on Twitter Spaces. Yeah, okay. Mary Barra gets on Twitter Spaces, and you know now GM is also joined in. Um, and then? <laughs> okay. Easy. You can say uh, it. You can say. You know what you want to say. You and want then, to say no more and then, and then Rivian, and then Rivian, and and then basically almost every third party charging so- hardware and software company has also said that they will, if they aren't already have plans to add that to their charging stations, they are going to. I don't know who else am I missing. Stellantis so, and Hyundai, as of right now, are thinking about it, which is you know. Okay, but who else am I, am I missing? Ford, GM, and Rivian are the three main automakers. Several people have pointed out that the uh, Tesla's NAX standard does not support 350 kilowatt charging, and uh, it's it's not that although it's the most reliable, that mm-hmm. it's not yet um, does not not yet take advantage of the variety of things that many non-Tesla's cars can do, like two-way charging. That's a great- that's a great point. I would say this though. I mean, we should really have someone come on and explain the advantages and also sort of not disadvantages, but um, about 800 volt systems and what that mm-hmm. means. Mm-hmm. But um, I would challenge someone to go to Electrify America or other charger that offers 350 and see if it actually gets even close to that. I like how you use the verb to define the outcome challenge. That, that's very nice. That's nice. <laughs> because I, I, I have, I'm not using them regularly, like on the daily, but every time I have, and I've, you know, had a vehicle that has the capability of charging at that rate and have gone to a charger that has that capability. I've never actually experienced it. It's gone above 150. But I've never actually reached anything close to 350. Let's. I'm going to ask both of you to make a prediction. So a few months ago, it's, it's CES Mercedes uh, announced they are going to build their own charging network in the United States. Do you think that they are going to switch to the next standard? Well, so there's two parts to that. Are they going to add um, sell an adapter so that they could not so not on the charging part, but like on the vehicle side, an adapter so that it could be used that, that Mercedes owners, like owners of the EQS SUV or whatever could go and use a Tesla supercharger. I could see that happening, but are they going to change their chargers to a NAC standard? Well, then they would also have to change the tech within their vehicles and that would probably be their next gen, right? That would be. So, so we're talking about two separate things, right? When, right. We, when we talk about NAC's adoption, what we're talking about is the plug, Basically, and 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 the Nax plug. For, I, my understanding is with Rivian, for example, e, you know, even if you're using the Nax plug, and and I assume the other players, um, that it's still actually using the CCS protocol to communicate. It's just using a Nax plug. So there's, you know, and 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 there's debate about 
about so so really what's being adopted is is the plug not necessarily until the actual charging protocol right until 2025 though okay in 2025 ford and gm's next gen vehicles will have the, the connector the and the port yeah so so that to me has always been the far more interesting side of things and also by the way all of the potential like these are different form factor vehicles. How is Tesla or is Tesla going to adjust how it sets up its supercharger networks? Because if you try to go in with an F-150 Lightning and plug it in right now at a Tesla supercharger with an adapter, you take up potentially two parking spots. Um, there is, uh, you know, the, the Model uh, 3 and Y and X and S all fit like the way that that um, port is um, on the rear left. It's a really uh, yeah, car. yeah. Thank you. It's it is standardized. Um, a lot of other vehicles out there that potentially be able to use the adapter. I predict um, this is my bold prediction that there is going to be um, a huge learning curve, and also like are the the like actual charging cables long enough? Um, will they take up multiple parking spots? Because a Rivian or a, a the upcoming uh, Chevy Silverado, like these are big trucks. Um, and also, by the way, the Cybertruck, if it ever comes out. So how is the charging network going to change? And then to me, it has always been the bigger thing is the integrated Tesla tech into vehicles. That so, to me is way bigger deal than using some adapter. Super brief tangent, but totally related to this. I you know, just moved to Phoenix and I wanted to install a Tesla charger. So of course, I just ordered a Tesla charger with the, you know, the little longer cable. I think it's 20 feet. And um, because my carport's kind of funny, my apartment's not right by my carport. So I call an electrician. He's like, yeah, sorry, bro. You're going to have to dig a trench. It's going to, with a trench and the distance, it's going to be like at least 1500 bucks to install this thing, which is probably going to be more than your savings. You just, you know, go to superchargers. I'm like, I don't know. So I like, I wonder if I could, there's an extension cord for the Tesla charger. And I'm like, I don't think this is safe or legal. I'm sure Tesla does not approve of this. And then my neighbor says that he's an electrician. So I'm like, hey, do you think this is safe or illegal? He's like, well, you could just use the you know standard 110, whatever, wall charger cable and get, a, and get an extension cord for that. I'm like, that doesn't sound safe or illegal. He's like, well, legal, yes, safe, I think so. I'm an electrician. I'm like, saying you're an electrician does not protect me if the whole building burns down. So I go on Amazon and look up Tesla extension cord. And this company, Electron, makes for $300 a, I'm going to look at the length right now, they make an extension cable for the for Tesla superchargers. Um, I don't think they, well, it looks, it's, it's the NAX connector. And what does it say here? It says here, do not use a superchargers. How long before you think somebody gets one of these cables and tries to use it as a supercharger. And what do you think is going to happen? Well, think it's going to work? It says here, <laughs> uh, will not work with superchargers. Someone's going to try. Ed, you're a pre- your great predictor. What's going to happen, Zoltar? I, um, I don't know. Fire? Fire? I mean, my understanding is the whole the whole thing with, with Tesla is that they, you know, they, they make it so it's very difficult to use any kind of third-party equipment with anything that's fundamental to the, right? It's very Apple-like. And that's why in a lot of ways, this whole NAX shift is so puzzling is it's like, 
the you know smartphone industry deciding they're going to they're going to standardize around the lightning cable when you have USB C um that that is like an open an open standard and and so it's it to me it's just that's the real the real question is why 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 are we standardizing around the relatively walled garden versus the versus the open standard uptime reliability and, okay so so i mean there's a lots of right there's lots of different answers in each piece of this it's it's a very complicated thing right because one, the one that i hear a lot is is just the payment system integration piece of it and like that's a huge and fascinating part of it there's lots of there's lots of pieces there's there's the reliability there's the the fact that the plug is is slimmer and and whatever there's like lots of of potential reasons for this but the one that comes up again and again that i think is to me, the one that, that jumps out from this pile of potential reasons is there's just more chargers. There's more super Tesla has invested in what I think 17, 17 19,000 chargers, something like that across the country. And there's something like 10,000 CCS. So there's almost twice as many Tesla uh, chargers as there are superchargers as there are CCS chargers. And, and 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 working ones, I should add, because it's very rare. It's it happens, but it's very rare to come across like a supercharger station where like half or like they're all usually working. Right. So so okay. So that that's the uptime issue. And and so so I guess like is an interesting question here because right like okay so Tesla's is bigger and better, and so it makes sense now for companies to move over to that like that like that they're the like I get traction on the on the logic what I question is whether or not Tesla's will continue will, whether they could possibly continue to expand their network to keep up with now all of these these companies flooding into it and 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 so to some extent the the it's it's the the lack of alternative that's really strange to me. The fact that the industry came together, created a CCS standard that nobody controls, but but you know because you didn't have the this one company that was trying to build a market the way Tesla was in in 2012, which you haven't had the only real investment that's gone into that CCS network is a, is 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 basically the criminal penalty. Like if VW hadn't, you know, so, so basically the only investment in the alternative to Tesla superchargers was because we caught Volkswagen cheating on diesel emissions. And we said, you know, to, to make up for these sins, you're going to make a charging network. A, we wonder why it sucks. Well, like look at the incentives. Nobody went into that business to make money at, at, at Electrify America. So it makes sense that it sucks, but it also makes sense that because it's been such a nightmare that no, people aren't continuing to invest in it. So I guess my question is, is that, you know, to me, the, the differences in charging experience, whatever are like, they seem marginal and they, they don't seem like anything that can't be brought within a, a, a sort of competitive window, which means that the real moat is the fact that Tesla has twice as many chargers, but does, but, but does everybody standardizing te around Tesla change the incentives to build out the network more? Because the fundamental problem is, is that people aren't choosing to go into the charging business to make money. And I don't see how this changes that calculus at all. All it does is put Tesla closer to a sort of monopoly, you know, rentier position where they potentially control, uh, you know, particularly the point of the point of payment piece of it, which every monopolist always goes straight for that, right? So that's a point. You got a point there. I'm going to Niedermeyerize this for a second because I'm 
I love the Tesla charging network. It's what makes it possible to own a Tesla and, or an EV and go distance. But I think the most important thing you said is you're going to let one guy own the network. It, it's like the, it's like um, Starlink. <laughs> so you're going to let one guy own this because can you, I have not seen anyone, Kirsten, if any journalist is going to look into this. May, I, I hope it's you. I'd love to know more about what the contract, long-term contractual arrangement is between Tesla and someone else, another OEM that's going to, you know, adopt the standard. Because you can imagine five, seven, ten years from now that the other companies, other charging networks, have failed to not just adopt the standard, but come up with a protocol as reliable. And so people are reliant on the ever-growing Tesla network, and then. Elon pulls the plug. Like you well, basically but, have the industry hostage. Right. But so I, I feel like both of you are, it's, a, it's the topic is power and timing. So if every other third party charging network moves to the next standard, Tesla doesn't own that. They just use that standard, which Tesla has said that they would open it up. That's what they did. That was their whole point last, last November. They were going to open it up to encourage people to adopt it. So to me, what's interesting, what Ed kind of touched on is it's a timing issue, which is how could it go awry? Well, it could go awry if right now, because of the timing, because right now Tesla's Tesla's supercharger network is superior, everyone moves to that, but then no more investment goes into the superchargers. And all of a sudden, four or five years from now, we're in a stagnant position. So it's a timing issue. And then Alex, what you're bringing up is a power one. So the the only way it would potentially work out, um, I think, would be if if every other company that also adopts the standard, then they could also own that, and Tesla wouldn't just own that. But um, and they wouldn't have a monopoly necessarily. And on the financial piece, that's really an agreement between the software that's running that that charger and the software in the vehicle. Like you know, Tesla doesn't need to own that. It just depends on how good that software integration is. So, you know, that is, again, like, it's an interesting question because, Ed, you're right. Right now, it seems like the smart thing to do would be to go use that supercharger network based on the premise that it will continue to be invested in and improved and grown. But if it remains stagnant, then all of a sudden you're like, oh, shit, maybe we should have just improved the CCS ones. Right. So and, and, and so this is we'll actually so, so this is something that Tesla short sellers have sort of argued for a while about Tesla's like gross margins is that as Alex has, has said many, many times on the show, right? Like like the supercharger network is what makes buying a Tesla. It makes the entire purchase decision basically for, for people like Alex, which do not want to represent Alex as being anything like the, <laughs> the typical person, let alone car buyer. But um, <laughs> but for a lot of people, like that's the case, right? So like the way the way they they have 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 done their their sort of unit economics uh and 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 their their gross profit margins they that those charger infrastructures are separate like it's a fundamental integral part of the of the product because only Tesla has it and and yet so we don't right so 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 like they're kind of disaggregated and, and what that what what that kind of comes down to is that it seems like the superchargers have fundamentally been a sort of marketing and uh, you know uh, promotional or like like an associated expense, but that somehow isn't you know part of the vehicle. So the the point that I'm the point that I'm getting to is that 
you, you know, we don't actually know how the unit economics of this work. It made sense for Tesla because the superchargers have been such a, a, a fundamental like reason for people to buy the car. It's been it's made sense for Tesla to kind of potentially have that as a as a loss leader. I'm not saying that 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 they have been subsidizing superchargers, but like it would make sense for them to do that considering that they have had all kinds of as much capital as they wanted that, you know, uh, uh, that they've needed it to, to sort of build, you know, to be the sort of first mover here. Um, but again, like if the superchargers were fundamentally a strong and profitable business, you would see competition for it. You would see people trying mm. to compete with it. And again, when you see that the biggest player in North America outside of super, uh, outside of Tesla superchargers was literally created as a criminal penalty, like that's not a sign of healthy and vibrant competition. It doesn't speak to me to, you know, the kind of environment and the kind of business that is going to attract continued, the kind of ongoing and continued investment that we need to see. And again, Shifting e- either way, honestly, even if if Tesla gave up on its standard and went to CCS, I don't think that that would like like I, I it, it doesn't. So the it, value is actually in the protocol, the uptime and protocol, not the connector. See, I don't, I don't well, think it is. I mean, there 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 is some some value in it, but yeah, I think that I think that you're right. But here's the thing: there is competition and there is investment. It's just incredibly fragmented, um, and also again, it's a timing issue. I mean, I. Um, I don't know what the um, breakdown financially for Tesla is right now with superchargers, but we could certainly look back in time and say when um, free supercharging for life was offered in the very early days, that was certainly a subsidized thing. And it was, it was a big, it was a very big and also smart marketing um, and selling tactic, right? That's been phased out. Um, it can be quite expensive now to, to charge a supercharger depending um, when and where. Uh, so th- so that's disappeared. And so if you were to you know kind of do a back of the envelope map on that, you would potentially suspect that that there is some money being made from that now. But it is supercharger network is a big real estate play. Um, it they do continue to open new ones. I mean. Every other day, it seems like I see an announcement, you know, on their Twitter uh, about a new, you know, new stalls going in, and there is competition. Who, who's installing new stalls? Tesla. Tesla, Tesla continues Tesla. to grow its network, so you it hasn't stagnated yet. Like the concern that you had, like what if it stagnates? I'm not seeing that yet. It is totally possible, but um, and there is maybe competition isn't the right word because it doesn't feel very equal. But there are certainly somewhere around 17, maybe 20 other companies out there um, with maybe not um, like maybe a dozen charging network operators out there and hardware and software companies related to EV charging. Could you call it regulation? What, what do you mean? Well, you know, they're all basically benefiting, I think, from the... Uh, was it the Inflation Reduction Act's uh, component? Well, they're benefiting from it now, but these aren't brand new companies. Companies like ChargePoint have been around for a long time. But I think that, again, we get back to that timing issue, which is Tesla decided to create its own sandbox. And a lot of people criticized them for that at the time because they're just simply at that time when it first started. Not, not me. A lot, not not me. A lot of, Not a lot of EVs on the road yet. Not a lot of Teslas on the road yet, but it was a bet on the future. 
it's really hard to invest in like infrastructure when there aren't a lot of EVs on the road. And now that's shifting, especially in markets like California, right? I think the mistake that a lot of other companies made was um, they did not think through the user, like the user interface at all, the user experience at all. It was a totally different business model than what Tesla's business model is because Tesla's business model for it to be successful has to be like superior to use something that people want to use. Whereas other charging companies, they can just throw up something at any random spot. And like the, uh, the company that owns that land, let's say it's like a circle K or something is, you know, paying, paying for that. Right. And then they can just walk away. The insanity of it, of course, is that if Tony Fidel's book built, have you read that book? Like, no, but you keep mentioning it, so I feel it's like it's a I good should. book. But it's like these EV product leaders at these at the OEMs, you know, going back, you know, five, seven, ten years, uh, like they didn't think their product included the the whole experience. Like everyone's so inured to the lousy experience of basically any American gas station that they just assumed, oh well, the chargers, you know, who's going to buy these things anyway? And it's too bad. It's too bad to, to you know Tesla, the only folks who thought about like the whole thing. But gonna- but, but again, I mean, there, you know, there's a the if the business were so good, why would people just be handy? Right? Because the what, business what, is this not is- the charging. The business is getting people to buy cars, and so if you if that is your goal, but opening up you the need, standard gets rid need- of that competitive advantage. See, this this is what this is why I think the companies are doing it. It's it's a couple of things. One is it eliminates the competitive advantage that Tesla has with the supercharger network. If your car can connect with it. We're all the same now. That's that's a, that's a strategic advantage that that goes away. Two, it 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 basically doubles. Well, no more. It's it's like uh, you know the size of your of your charger network without a dollar invested. You know, all of a sudden, every car that you build can connect instead of just ten thousand. Now it's like thirty thousand. I'm going to say something chargers that I can't without I'm paying a, this without paying a penny for it. I don't want people to think I'm a Tesla stand, but I think a lot of folks. A lot of people who who show up with non Teslas at a supercharger and plug in are going to be hanging out with Tesla fan, Tesla owners, and I think that their next EV is going to be a Tesla. I mean, there are some great EVs: a Lucid, a Ford Mach E, a couple of Mercs, but you don't a lot of other stuff is not great. A lot of other stuff not great. That's a big maybe, maybe sure, yeah. uh, maybe. Uh, but, but but here's the hmm. thing, though: is so so you getting you going from ten thousand to thirty thousand chargers that your cars can now connect to without you paying a penny. Okay. Now, if that business, if the charging business is a good business, you want to be the one making that investment so that you own it. So you're making money on that business down the line for perpetuity. The thing is, none of these car companies want to be in the business because I'm pretty damn sure it's not a good business. It, It can look like a good business if it's really, you know, sort of an integrated piece of a luxury car business, a luxury EV business. It's also pioneering, by the way, which which creates a totally unique set of market circumstances, right? Then I could see it makes sense. It made sense for Tesla to be in the charging business, but it's still like to me, they the companies would not be doing this if the charging business were a place you actually want to be long term. Now, maybe these car companies well, are all are all idiots and they're all making mistakes and they don't have the long term strategic vision to see that well, charging is in a fact point. a good business. But, but I'm very skeptical of that because the experience has been shit for almost everybody except Tesla, who who won't really actually let anybody see anything about how the thing really operates from the inside and what it takes to keep no, the uptime and everything releasing. else. I thought that they were opening up the whole standard so that you could no, see no. It. I mean, I'm talking about like there's no transparency where like we're not seeing 
seeing how the, the finances of the actual charging business, we're not seeing what their actual costs are to keep the uptime that people love so much. Like, like obviously some of those advantages are engineered into the, into the system, but a lot of it is also that they, Tesla has to spend money to get people out there to keep those things going. And we don't know. There's sure, a lot I don't that we think don't know any, I don't think any EV um, charging network is sharing those specs either, but I would say this. I'm not going to say that every single automaker is up there a bunch of idiots and they weren't like didn't jump on it, but there is certainly tons of history to show and suggest that they were very slow on a lot of things. So, um, and now we're also seeing a lot of automakers deciding to choose to build their own networks because they are unhappy with the third party charging networks that they were going to have to have their EV owners rely upon. GM is one. Mercedes is another, Rivian is another. So it's like, there's a reason why, I mean, they're just very late. No, but they don't want, nobody wants to be, right? Like, so like Mercedes, they're saying we're a premium brand and they think that long-term it make it's important for a premium brand to own their own, their own charging. And I can see how at the high end of the market where you're trying to differentiate yourself, right? They're, they're trying to differentiate themselves. So basically they're going to scoop up now the advantage that, that Tesla is giving away. Now Mercedes, because you, you not only have the ability to to tailor the you know the the charging and the and the and the, and the vehicle and everything, but you actually have actual exclusivity. Where when you see a Mercedes Charger, there's only ever going to be a Mercedes charging at it. Like that is actual Maybe. exclusivity. Unless unless they unless they also oh, do you know something we don't know, Alex? No, no, no. I don't, no. I, I don't know anything no. that isn't public. I think Ed was looking at me when he said that. Uh, All right, Alex. (laughs) Moving on. Do we have another topic not Tesla? Whoops. No, we don't. Uh, Well, I guess we could touch on FSD, although I feel like we had like a nice, healthy conversation already. Are we sick of talking about Tesla? Because now let's give it, let's give it five minutes. Okay. So there is obviously still a lot of talk about um, FSD software and, over the weekend, Elon Musk was at uh, Viva Tech in Paris and said, what? "Can I? Can I just read sure. the headline? Sure. One headline published June seventeenth, two thousand twenty-three, Fox Business. Musk says Tesla close to reaching vehicle autonomy. <laughs> was that written by AI? <laughs> you know, people complain about AI potentially eliminating journalism jobs, but honestly, a lot of these folks who are in quote unquote journalism jobs." They don't deserve to have these jobs. They come on. Okay, so what for anyone who's been living under a rock? What Ed and Alex are poking fun at is that you could basically put a different date on that same exact headline for the last what uh, since twenty sixteen, pretty much. Uh, the full self driving yeah. option has we're existed close. since October twenty sixteen. Yep. Right. So the but we're close. We're close to a time since probably twenty seventeen, maybe. Uh, oh no, he was saying he was saying we're close before if the FSD option was even sold. I mean, he you, right, no, you no, go no, back to I mean. four, 13, 14, Basically, okay. he started talking about driving automation tech generally in 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 the second quarter of twenty thirteen, and pretty much from the jump, from the moment he mentioned it, he was basically always saying that it was right around the corner. Right. So that's what I was hinting at. Thank you for the timeline check. I couldn't remember. I was thinking it was like 2015-ish, but it was even earlier than that. But yeah, point is, and the reason why that's so funny is that he's been saying the same thing for a decade. Um, and we're, I mean, I suppose you could, one could argue certainly that there, there have been improvements to the system, but the whole like thing about solving 
autonomy, which he was also quoted as saying. Um, but the big headline, besides that very silly one that that he's very close, was that again, once again, saying that the Tesla's value is is market cap is directly tied to um, automated driving, which is an interesting choice um, because. On one hand, one could say, well, he's very confident, obviously, that this is happening. And so he's talking about it. But if you were to, to ask someone like Ed, <laughs> he would say that's a huge mistake because that is going to be the potential downfall of the company. Would you agree? Um, I don't know if I put it exactly that that way, uh, but I definitely – look, I think full self-driving has always been a scam, uh, like the, the Tesla option. Um, and it just seems very – I look, like like it's the same problem they've always had, which is that – the market cap is too high to be justified by any kind of just car business, even one that now is two million units a year, maybe you know, and 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 maybe like even sustainably profitable for at least some point. Lack of a product pipeline is troubling, but the point is, is that they built up the business to be more established and more viable, just as a as a car business. Um, and and I mean, look at the look at the the supercharger network that we've just been talking about. I mean, that is something. That has become an undeniably like a, a real asset that Tesla has built, and that it's now leveraging in in like ways that that really make sense to put all of that and, and and to sort of say like oh this is all just sort of comes down to full self driving, which is all a been a scam, but b if you just look at it like nothing destroys Elon Musk's credibility faster than just reading the things that he said about this technology. And um, yet he still has a lot of people who are bullish on it, and I'm not trying to like poke like try to get you like amped up about this but i just find it fascinating that like there's a lot of people who think that flat earth the earth is flat like (laughs) there's a lot of people who think that that vaccines cause autism you know like this is the world that we live in and elon musk is very well adapted to the world that we live in like are you suggesting that rfk jr is gonna drives a tesla and he believes in, in fsd I don't think I said or implied that, Alex. But I'm, <laughs> wow. I'm, I'm more drawing a parallel <laughs> than a connection. <laughs> but, um, okay, point taken. I do think it's interesting and a risk to repeatedly talk about how you, the entire value of your company is tied to something that you continue to promise but haven't delivered upon yet. And also, um, in parallel, you have companies like Mercedes, which granted, we're taking a very different approach and have hands um, off, eyes off, quote unquote, level three systems, very conditional, highways only, up to 40 miles an hour. Granted, it's not the same thing that Tesla's going for in terms of urban, but is choosing to take on the liability of that. Whereas to me, the liability piece has always been the biggest risk for Tesla um, when it comes to FSD. Why are you deep sighing? Because I feel like we we should have added a topic to this week, and I have what? questions for you. Can you give us the definitive answer hmm. on Mercedes-Benz's position on the liability? Sure. Um, for their level three product, I mean they've they've said that that if used the way it was supposed to use, so not uh, misused, um, that they take on the liability, plain and simple. So. They were very careful in many interviews early on before they got some approvals about it. And it was like pulling teeth, but they've been pretty clear on it since. They're taking responsibility. The very definition of a correctly engineered mode transition or cognition 
management system, whatever that you want to call the system that determines whether a driver is ready to take over and then takes over from partial automation, whatever, if it's correctly done, there's no opportunity for an, a user to misuse it. And that is where I'm hoping Mercedes got this right. I've only ridden in it. I've only ridden in it. So I've only been a, you know, a passenger in the front seat. I haven't driven it, but it does seem like there's a number of whatever fail safes or whatever ways to prevent misuse. But have they thought of every single possible way that you can misuse a system? And that's a question that can only be answered by testing it. I right. look forward to testing it. Yeah. Wow. And on that note, what else have we, have we, have we covered all our bases for today? There, there is also actually an interesting SM, um, let's see, uh, SMB global, uh, did a survey, um, that, that is really related to this. It's surprising. I, I need to sort of dig into this a little bit more maybe. Um, but, but it, it it's fascinating because it, it, it goes down and, and lists sort of different ADAS or, or automated driving features um, and asks 8,000 car shoppers which of them the, are most desirable. And what's fascinating is, is that it's like the inverse of what you might think if, if you listen to especially Tesla people. Blind spot detection is number one feature in their desirability ranking. Second is rear view camera mirror. Forward collision warning. I'm going down in order of desirability. Automatic emergency braking. So I, I just want to stop right there because those four systems, they're mandatory. Some of them. Yes, thank you. Forward collision yeah, warning. I think is mandatory. Blind spot detection. I think is mandatory now, or or, or it's basically standard on well, every vehicle. AEB is. I think AEB was supposed to be voluntary, and I think basically everyone's done it. But I think maybe a couple people, a couple models may not have it. Um, but the, but the point is, is that these are, we talked about this on the show before. These are the features that you don't even notice a lot of the time. You barely notice blind spot detection. You notice obviously, but these are like actual safety features. These are the things that statistically actually provide a safety benefit. There is one that is in a test that are in Tesla vehicles that Alex, I, I don't know if you'll pick up on this. I know you love it. That would be very popular if it was in other vehicles. But it's not really safety. Do you know what I'm talking about? Go on. The traffic light indicator. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. The traffic signal indicator that it's green. That is that is more convenience. I mean, I suppose you could argue that safety. It's not an active safety system, but like there are these little things that make driving like the person more, um, you know, attentive. Things like that. But um, yeah, yeah people like, seem to need that help. Yeah, because they're all looking at their phones. Exactly. So, so then, so then you go down. So, so by the way, blind spot detection, highest favorability or desirability rating, eighty-two point five percent rear view camera mirror, eighty percent AEB FCW, eighty percent night vision, eighty percent. You get down to the very lowest one is at sixty-one percent, and that just says self-driving car. <laughs> at sixty-three percent, a little bit more favorable, but still at the bottom of the list, unsupervised city automated driving. 63.7% hands-off the, automated driving. The, These the are the media, lowest ranking in The media has so bastardized the, the phrase self-driving. What does it even mean anymore? How yeah. would anyone know what that even means? Because let me tell you, and you know, I guess the clock's running out in this topic because I really want to talk about it and I forgot about it up till now because you may be so upset, Ed. I recently went to go visit uh, Cul-de-Sac Tempe, which is this no- mm car community that's being constructed by this gentleman, Ryan Johnson. We should just have those people on. So let's be yeah. brief about this. Topic. All right. We'll be brief. Let's invite him on. Um, and, 
you, you know, there's no parking there except for deliveries and like, you know, construction and you can't park a car within a quarter mile. And if there's a train across the street, basically everything's been done to make it possible to live a car-free lifestyle in Tempe in a, a community, which is really optimal for a, a car-free lifestyle. And Waymo's serve the location. And I took a Waymo there and back. Ryan's done it too. And let me tell you, the people who are saying that they don't believe in or want an autonomous vehicle, whether to use one or own one, have never used one. They've never used one. Because once you use them in an environment that's optimized for them and Tempe is that place, it's great. It's great. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Ryan, so you're invited are, on the show. These you're are 8,000 car shoppers who are, <laughs> who are questioned here. Right, but and I think okay, that's so- And I think this is something that has really like – this has been one of the real problems with – all kinds of public education and, and public discourse around a, around AVs is, are we talking about robotaxis or are we talking about a car that you own? And I, my interpretation of this as best as I can is it's, it's, and I, I feel like every time you see a survey like this, it's, it's just all over the place. But, um, my interpretation of this is that self-driving car is the lowest sort of rated feature because in the context of buying a car, there's only one automaker that's telling you that if you spend money, that that car is going to drive itself, and that's Tesla. And they've been saying it since since 2016, or they've been selling it since 2016, and it's it's not close to to delivering. That that's the only way I can explain that because I think if you tell people, like if you get them outside of that car buying context and just say, hey, magically, if there were an autonomous vehicle here today that's a level five privately owned car that you can afford and can take you anywhere you want to go, I think the favorability of that would be pretty high. Um, I, to me, this is that in we've reached a point now where in the context of new car buying, new car buyers are like, well, if they're saying the car is going to drive itself, I'm going to be suspicious of that because like I don't see cars that you can buy. Like I, At least I hope that's what's happening. I mean, I don't know. I, I think that there's another issue. And then, then as Alex loves to say, well, it's time to wrap it up. But I think that the, these surveys – are problematic in that, um, and Alex kind of touched on it, and we've talked about this multiple times, is that the terminology is not set. People have very huge, huge disparity of like understanding what these things actually do because they've all been branded different things. And then Ed, to your point, I think the one thing that it does hint at without getting into the specific breakdown and like trying to rate is that there's a lot of technology and vehicles that people don't use (laughs) and that there are a a very short list of things that people do use. But I think part of that is that they just don't know how to use it. They don't even know that they don't even know, like a perfect example is being in like one of my parents' vehicles and then having zero clue that the thing that they were just talking about that's in another car is in their car. Yeah, totally. We just don't know how to use it. So there's a quote here actually from um, uh, someone, uh, let's see, uh, a technical research analyst who, who was involved in the study. Quote, consumers don't know exactly know how it is going to work. There is confusion, Mills said. They're asking – is it self-driving or is it just going to help me a bit and I still have to focus? So there you have it, everybody who's in the autonomous vehicle space. By letting this Tesla thing fester since 2016, you've poisoned the well. Consumers don't know when you say self-driving, does that actually mean self-driving or does it not? And guess what? We've all allowed this to happen. And now well, we mean, get media, to swim laps in our poison. 
Yeah. But you get the a pass because you're real media, like an actual journalist who no, thinks okay. and knows stuff. The media is, sure. I'm sorry, this is not a political statement. The people who work in media largely are just, just, just terrible. Just terrible. Okay, let's not make, again, generalizations Lazy. don't really help. But I think that in general, um, sometimes, like, we've seen some progression and some improvements. But it's the hard thing is when you see, like, a major media outlet that doesn't have a specialty and doesn't have a reporter on staff that has a specialty in it sort of jumping on what is the most interesting thing of the day. And, and, and obviously a lot of people like reading about Tesla and, and, and some of these other companies. And so there is a mischaracterization of like what it actually does. And that's a big thing. I always tell people, even just regular people who are talking and bragging about their quote unquote self-driving Tesla is that explain to me actually what it does. And as soon as they start explaining to it, and then we have a conversation and very clearly is you can label it and call it whatever you want, but when you actually describe what it does, then you, then you understand its limitations of what it actually is not. Right? Yeah. And I'm going to push so, back Alex on, on, on blaming the media on this one. I look like, like, yes, there are late, there's lots of lazy people in the media. There's also a lot of people who just like follow really cynical incentives in the media. But I will say when, when, you know, you're talking about something like driving automation technology. It's not like covering the freaking weather, right? Like this is technology that has to be explained to reporters. No reporter is ever going to actually is they're not born understanding this stuff. Someone needs to help them understand that stuff. And yes, you can say a good reporter will go out and find unbiased people to educate them about this stuff. And like, you know, the three of us on this show for years, that's what we've been doing. What we've been doing on this show is discussing our own efforts to educate ourselves and, and, and things like that. But like, we all have been doing this long enough as well to understand that like our friends in the industry side, you know, they censor themselves and they, they hold up short of, they will tell us things in private that they won't say in public. And, and having seen that, like they bear a lot of responsibility for this as well, because ultimately it's their responsibility and, and more, it's, it's not just their responsibility. It's in their interest for a reporter who's covering the AV bubble. Let's call it for the last five years. It doesn't matter. You got into it. You covered it. It's interesting. You wrote a bunch of stories. You got paid for those stories. If the bubble succeeds and, and AVs become ubiquitous overnight, great. If they don't, and it all goes away. Fine. You just move on to something else. It's at the end of the day, you know, reporters cover whatever. And that's one of the reasons why, by the way, they can't be a specialist in any one of these technologies. But for the companies in the space, it is in their interest. They cannot build markets for their products unless the public understands it. And so you can blame the media all you want, but you're screwing yourself because ultimately this is a problem for you. Reporters are going to sail right past this and, and life is going to go on for them, for the entire media. It's the companies that are stuck out there trying to sell autonomous vehicle technology into this poison environment. They're the ones who are screwed. They have only themselves to blame. They could have done more and they didn't. And it's their problem. And on that note. Now that, uh, so I feel like a show should end when like Ed's cortisol levels have reached like a certain point. I think we achieved that. So <laughs> you should see that, the smile on my face right now. I, I see the smile on your face, but no one else can. Um, okay. With that, we need to get Colossac folks on. We should actually have someone on from like the EV charging world because I don't think this topic is going to go away. And we will, of course, continue to talk about FSD. So thank you, Ed and Alex. And thank you to our audience for listening to another episode of the Atonicast. <laughs>